Kia ora everybody, welcome to Elam Christian Centre this morning, so good to have everyone with us and so good to see so many smiling faces, even though uh, the masks, you know, like it's hard to see that you're smiling, but you do it with your eyes, apparently, that's the way you smile with the mask on, you smile with your eyes on, and uh, it's uh, so cool to have you here this long weekend, thank you for being part of church uh, today, uh, Daryl and Denise do send their love, they were messaging me this morning saying, Steve, don't mess it up. And uh, they, uh, their middle daughter got married. They got rid of her yesterday. There's, she's off the books. And uh, so they're very happy. And they're celebrating today um, just with their family and stuff, which is really, uh, really exciting. And uh, thank you so much for being part of church. Thanks for going, all the effort to get here, you know, to register and all the things you got to do. I just want to commend you guys for doing that. And uh, in the season, it's so important that we just show each other just generous grace in the season. It's all crazy. It's all nuts. We don't know how things work. And it's just, listen, let's just be overly gracious to each other in this season. That'd be absolutely awesome. I want to also let you know that obviously you'll be aware of the tragedy that struck Tonga not that long ago. Uh, with the volcanic eruption and the tsunami and things. And, you know, as a church, we want to be able to support and help things, especially when on our back doorstep. And so Elam New Zealand, uh, we're partnering with Elam New Zealand and Equippers Church. We're going to be sending um, some relief fund over there to some of the churches that um, our friends have partners with over there to support the people. And so we've uh, allocated a portion of our missions budget this year to go towards that. So I want to just say um, thank you for your discontinued, faithful, generous giving, because it enables us in times like this to be able to help and support and, uh, and bring some relief where we can uh, at this time. So thanks so much for that. We are in part two of a series called Refresh, and I hope you were here last week because I know it was an amazing message Pastor Dale brought. I want to bring part two of that message, uh, this message series, and we're going to read today from the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, if you have the Elam Christian Center app, you can grab that right now. It's on your phone. If you don't have it, you can download that for Apple and Android. If you're still on Android, we'll pray for financial breakthrough for you. Uh, that would be amazing. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay, Second Peter chapter fifteen, uh, chapter one. Sorry, starting verse number five. It's going to come up on the screen. It is in your notes there. Um, and, and if you do, if you don't have the, app, make sure you get it because there's some extra stuff in there that you can tap into. Um, and there's some extra stuff from this message that you can grab on there as well. Go Second Peter chapter one. Reads like this. The Apostle Peter, in his letter, says this: For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. So add to your faith, add goodness. To goodness, add knowledge. To knowledge self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then going forward into verse 12, he says this, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. I've called this message today, Refresh Your Memory. Refresh Your Memory. Um, I don't know about you, but this is a big deal for me. When someone tells me or asks me to do something that I'm already doing, for me, it's deeply offensive. I don't know how that works for you. Maybe you're more advanced in your faith than I am. Maybe you are more holy than I am. But if someone says to me, hey, Steve, can you do this? And I'm already doing it. It is like, I don't know what it is about it. It is frustrating. It is offensive. It is just, there's, uh, what is it? We need a psychologist to unpack this because that hurts and it offends at a level that not many things do. Like, for example, I might be sitting up to wash the dishes because I'm an amazing husband. And, and I'm about to wash the dishes and my wife will say, say, Steve, can you wash the dishes? Not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. Now you've asked. I was about to do them. I was actually doing them. And now you've asked me, I don't want to do it. 
It's like, it's like if someone says to you, hey, don't forget to tidy up after yourself. And you're like, I always tidy up. What are you talking about? I always, don't forget to lock the door when you leave. Like I leave it unlocked. Like it's, it's, it's something that gets in on the inside of you, right? I find this with my kids now. I'm like, kids, can you tidy your room? We are dead. Leave us alone. Like they just lo- lo- pray for my children, please. You know, I said to our staff just before Christmas, we had a staff meeting, I did some training with them. I said, guys, listen, if I am asking you to do something that you already do, it's not because I don't think you're doing it. It's because it's really important to me. If I say, hey, guys, let's make sure this is all set up and ready to go. It's not because I don't think you do that on a weekly basis. It's not, not that you're not prepared and you're not onto it and you don't always, and it's not that I haven't even seen you not do it. It's just that for me, that thing is really important. I just want to remind you of that thing because it is very important to me. And so Peter is doing the same thing in this letter with this list of qualities and things he says we are to add to our faith. He says, look, it's not that you're not doing them. It's not that you don't have them, you don't possess them, and they're not in you, and you're not living them. I just want to remind you of them. I want to refresh your memory that these are incredibly important and also produce a wonderful result in your faith. And so what I would love to do today is refresh us of the same things. I want to go through this list, and I want to refresh our memory of the same things because these are so important. They're, they're, they're amazing building blocks for our faith. And as we begin this sort of new year with all the craziness, I really think it's important that we refresh some of these basic truths and these basic things of how we live this Christian life, what we can add to our faith to grow into the fullness of what God has for us. And I want to refresh us today. What's cool about this list is that each quality adds to the next. And it doesn't just add to the next, it reveals a layer of truth of the previous quality that you wouldn't understand without the second thing. So each one adds to it and reveals and shows a better and greater outworking of the previous quality as you go on. So as you get through the list, you realize you cannot have one without the next. They all have to work together. So we're going to go on a journey today. I want to refresh your memory. And listen, we're not going to go super deep today. That's not what this is about. This is about refreshing for us what's important as we begin this year. Is that okay? You guys with me today this morning? Awesome. Um, so we've got seven points to get through. And I know you're used to the three-point sermon set up here at Elam. Seven points to get through. So buckle in. Hold on tight. Hold your breath. Let's go. Uh, the first thing he says is this. To your faith, add goodness. Add goodness. I don't know about you, but I have a love-hate relationship with shows like American Idol and X Factor because they're amazing. But at the same time, there's this real awkwardness to them. And I don't like awkward things. I really don't like awkward things. And what, what, what you notice if you watch American Idol or something is they do all this like pre-interview stuff with people who are about to audition. They find someone in the line and they get their backstory and they talk to them. And they, this person starts talking like they are the next Michael Jackson. They're like, I'm amazing. I'm an incredible, I've been singing since I was two. I can sing like the angels. I'm amazing. I'm going to go all the way. I'm the next American Idol. And then they take the stage and they sound like a pirate stuck in an electric fence. Like it's no good. I don't know who they were listening to. I don't know who told them they were good, but all they did was say they were good, but they weren't actually good. It's like, I'm so good, but you're not actually good. See, the Christian life, the Christian faith, isn't just about saying, I'm a Christian and I'm good. It's actually about being good, about doing good. This Christian life isn't just, hey, I'm a Christian, look how good I am. We actually have to live a good life. It's, a, it's part of the gig. We add goodness to our belief and to our faith. In fact, true faith is expressed in doing good. 
True faith actually outworks in doing good. James 2, 14 to 17 says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have good works, is dead. There is this element of our faith where goodness is so important. Faith doesn't just believe good. Faith actually does good. And goodness, the church, listen, the church will never be perfect, but we can be good. We're never going to be perfect. We're never going to get it right all the time, but we can be good. And I want to encourage us in our faith today to begin to add some goodness, to bless some people. Maybe today you think about your day and where you're going or this week. Bless some people. Help people. Refuse to gossip. Have moral virtue in your life. Avoid sin. Be honorable. Be trustworthy. Be honest. Treat people well. Add some goodness to your faith. And I wonder if we just all pause for a second and reflect it on our own life. And think, man, where could I add some goodness in my life today? Like, where, where could I grow in a little bit of goodness? Maybe I am lacking a bit of that moral virtue that God calls us to have and add to our faith, and maybe I could add some today. And then Peter goes on, he says, add to goodness, add to goodness, knowledge. And that's my second point here. To goodness, add knowledge. I was at um, a wedding just a couple of weeks ago, and after the wedding ceremony, my wife and I wanted to go congratulate the bride's parents. Now, we knew her, the, the, the bride's mother's name, but we couldn't remember the bride's father's name. And so we wanted to go up to and say, hey, so-and-so and so-and-so, congratulations. But you've got to get that right. Otherwise, it could go really wrong. And so we're trying to, I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure his name is Paul, but I'm not 100% sure. And the worst thing we could do would, would be to go do a good deed and congratulate them and get the name wrong. So we're asking everybody, like, what's, what's the bride's dad's name? And everyone's like, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's Paul, but it might be Peter. I'm like, that's even more worse. That's worse. Because now Peter and Paul, they, they mix, man. They go crazy. And so we start asking around. And we find a pastor friend of ours who I shall not name. And it wasn't Pastor Daryl. Um, he was at the wedding, but it wasn't him. Uh, I asked the pastor, what's the bride's uh, dad's name? And he goes, it's Robert. And we're like, Robert, okay. But this pastor is notorious for practical jokes. So I don't trust a word he's saying. And so I'm now in this two months, is it Paul? Is it Robert? Is it Peter? I don't know what it is. And, we, and it's now getting to we've got to say something now. And so we go close and we're about to say, Robert, congratulations. When the, the, his wife, the bride's mother says, Paul, come over here. We're like, it's Paul. So now we had the knowledge to go with our good deed. Now we knew more to what we were doing. It added a layer to it. See, friends, knowledge is the why behind the what. Goodness on its own is not enough. We must also accompany knowledge, uh, goodness with knowledge. Knowledge gives the answer to the question of why you believe what you believe. Knowledge gives the answer to why are you good and why do you do good. And what's goodness got to do with any of it anyway? Knowledge is the understanding of your Christian experience. Knowledge are the answers to the questions of faith that you have, and we all have them. Knowledge gives you understanding and clarity on belief. Knowledge is the why behind the good that you do. And my concern as a pastor 
is that I meet far too many people who are on the journey of faith and they're good people and they're good Christians and they do good things, but they are swimming in the shallow end of the knowledge pool. And they make do on Jesus loves me. And they make do on, oh God, I met God and that's enough for me. And they, they make do on very minimal amounts of understanding to their faith. And the danger is when, when trial comes and struggles come and things don't work out so well, that just goodness can only take you so far. You need some knowledge to understand why you do what you do. And my heart as a church is that we wouldn't just be a church that is good and does good, but we would have a deep understanding of who we are in God, His Word, His character, His nature. We would have a knowledge that supports what we do. We would know why we do what we do. Think about your life. And I think about my life. And, and this has been on my mind so much lately. It's like, I'm like, there's some things that I need to know. There's some things I've got to grow in, in the knowledge of God and who He is, His character, His Word. There's, some, there's a layer I need to get better in. And maybe for you, there's a layer of knowledge you've got to grow in as well. And I want to encourage you to do so. Then He says this, to goodness, add knowledge. You've got to know why you're good. And then to goodness, He says, add self-control. Self-control. Um, Many of you may know that, um, and, and if you're new, you may not know, and I've shared some of my story, but I have an issue with balance. Like balance is a challenge for me at times. I, have, I had an injury to my balance center in my ear. Uh, it doesn't work properly, so it, it, it affects my balance. And that's why, like in church, I often wear a hat. It's not because I'm disrespectful or I'm trying to be cool or I'm trying to act younger than I actually am. It actually helps me just to eliminate some stimulation, which keeps me a bit more centered, a bit more balanced. So I sit on a stool. So if you, that, that's the answer to the question that some of you, uh, may have. So at times I struggle uh, with just balance and I can feel a bit, bit weird sometimes. But there's some things I can do that help me along the way. And there's some things if I don't do them, make it a whole lot worse. So yesterday I was complaining, man. I was complaining to my wife. I was going, babe, I'm so dizzy today. Feeling's just dizzy. I'm like, this is annoying me today. I'm, getting, I'm feeling really dizzy. And she was like, well, you stayed up till after midnight the last three nights in a row watching Netflix. And, well, you, 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 you haven't drunk much water. And, well, you haven't really been doing any exercise lately. And, well, and I'm like, I love you, but I already know. Like, I know what I should be doing to help this. I know what I need to do. The problem is I'm just not doing it. Thank you for telling me what I already know. I already know I should be eating better. I already know I need to get better sleep. I already know I need to drink more water. The problem is not my knowledge. The problem is my discipline. The problem is not my knowledge. The problem is my self-control. And if you, if you have knowledge without self-control, you're a know-it-all who never does it. <laughs> Thank you for the whoop. Knowledge wasn't my problem. It's discipline. And we can be like this in many areas of our life. We can be like with our finances. I'm always broke. You know you shouldn't spend that much. You know you should have less takeaways. You know you should save some money. But the, the knowledge isn't the problem. It's the discipline. We do it with our sleep and our eating and, and our relationships. I know what I should be doing. But the problem is not our knowledge. The problem is our discipline. For me, like one of the things God's been speaking to me about a lot is, is, is not saying so much. I'm, a, I'm notorious like, for just saying too much in a, in a meeting or in a moment. I'm like, and then I walk out, I'm like, Probably shouldn't have said all that. Like I probably should have, probably should have kept some of that in. Like that's that's not always helpful to just overshare uh, things that are going on or information that not everyone needs to know. And so, man, this God's been like, Steve, keep your mouth shut. James says, be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to get angry. The reason there's there's mess in your life because you're talking too fast. 
saying things too quickly, listen more, say less, and then things will be a whole lot better. For me, I know that. It's just the discipline. So I find myself now in meetings going, no, try and hold that back. Just keep that in because it doesn't need to happen right now. Self-control. Don't, friends, don't let your discipline let you down. Don't let your discipline let you down. And I want you to think about your life real quick right now. Think about your life. Think about your speech. Think about your purity. Think about your integrity. Think about your prayer. Think about your time in the Word. Think about your commitment to church and a small group and, and, and being part of a biblical community. Think about those things. Are you, man, do I know this stuff, but am I living it? Is, is it the discipline of my life that's actually leading me down on this journey? Okay, so, so he says, to, to your faith add goodness, then to goodness add knowledge, and then to knowledge add self-control, because you can't just be a know-it-all. You've got to live this thing out and actually know the truth and live it and do it. And then he says, to self-control add perseverance. Add perseverance. About seven years ago, I, I did a, a, an event called the Oxfam Trail Walker, and it was basically what the event is, is you walk 100 kilometers in 24 hours. So you've got to just go walk 100 Ks in 24 hours. Doesn't sound too bad, is really bad. Actually, in, in reality, bad, not good. But I, I was training for it. I was doing all the work. And, uh, but I started getting a bit of an injury in my foot, and I couldn't walk as much. So the, the maximum distance I, I walked in training was only 40 kilometers. So I walked 40K, and then I still had to show up on the day and walk 100 kilometers in 24 hours. Now, I say 100 kilometers in 24 hours. I mean you literally walk nonstop for 24 hours over beach and hills and farm and all kinds of stuff. It's an amazing event. But because I hadn't done the training, my body wasn't properly prepared. So at about 55 kilometers, things start breaking down. So one of the things that started happening was this knee just kind of, I couldn't bend it anymore. It just wouldn't bend. So the, if, I, if I bent it, it was so excruciatingly painful that I, I was going to quit. So I couldn't bend this knee. And then this foot, the, side, the muscle that controls the up and down of this foot just stopped working. So this is me walking. This is, just get the picture. That's me walking for 45 kilometers. That's me walking. There are people looking at me going, wow, that guy who's had a stroke is doing so well. <laughs> it, was, it was excruciating. There, there came a point in that event that I just had to determine not to quit. That was all. Like, it was going to hurt. It was going to be painful. I was going to pay for it for weeks after this event. But my mentality was, I am not stopping. So when it came to like aid stations or rest stops, I grabbed, I'm just, if I stop, I'm done. So I'm just going to keep on going. I'm going to develop a don't quit mentality. And I want to say this to you, friends. One of the greatest things you can develop in your Christian life is a don't quit mentality. Don't quit mentality. I've learned that one of the greatest spiritual disciplines you could ever create and adopt and, and foster in your walk is just, I won't quit. What, one of the things that's going to see you grow in God is a don't quit mentality. One of the things that's going to progress you in your faith and in ministry, if that's your desire, the, the, the thing that's going to help you the most is I'm just not going to quit. I'm going to show up and I'm going to keep on showing up. It's in the difficult seasons and the tough seasons of your life that you will be tempted to abandon the self-control and the disciplines that you know God has called you to live. So it's in those seasons you need to develop, I'm not going to quit mentality. I won't quit praying. I won't quit showing up in the Word. I won't quit showing up to church. I'm going to keep doing the things I know I should be doing, and I have the self-control to do them, but when it's hard, I need to keep doing them. 
I need to show up and keep on showing up. And it's there in the midst of the don't quit seasons, in those seasons where you got to keep, where it's like it's fire and it's, or it's dark and it's cold and you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death and you just keep on walking. It's in that place you discover a richness and a depth to God and your faith that you never would discover anywhere else. And if you've walked in those places, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You meet God in a different way. You know God in a different way. Your faith has grown in a totally different way. If you can get through those things and not quit, I'm telling you, on the other end of that is a fruitfulness and a richness in faith that you'll never experience before. But just don't quit. You may be in a dry season right now. I've been there. Don't quit. Just keep going. Keep pressing in. Keep doing the disciplines. Keep persevering in the disciplines in the self-control, and the things God has called you to do. Listen, when things are hard, it's so easy to abandon God's way. Stay in God's way. When you're discouraged, don't quit. If you're in discouragement right now, if you're discouraged in your faith, don't quit. If you're in disappointment, don't quit. If you're in unanswered prayers and you're in a waiting season, don't quit. Perseverance is one of the greatest things you can add to your faith. Add it to your self-control. In the midst of the toughness, I'm going to keep doing what I'm supposed to do. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It's not in your notes and it's not there, but it's my favorite verse. It's the life verse I live by. It's simply this. Be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for Him is ever a waste of time. In other words, let me summarize that for you. Don't quit. Keep serving God. Keep showing up. Keep trusting God. At the end of it, you're going to receive something you never thought you would. Think about your own life time to add some perseverance. And then he says this, perseverance, he says, add godliness. Add godliness. So to goodness, we add knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness. I have a twin brother, an identical twin brother. I know for some people, they're like, wow, really? Didn't know that about you. I have an identical twin brother, and we look exactly the same. So if you see me out there in the world doing something I shouldn't be doing, assume it's not me. So just assume... It's, that's, that can't be Steve. That's, that's his brother. And, and people often ask us, well, what's the difference between you guys? Like growing up as a twin, identical twin. What's the difference? Like the, God sort of looked at us and goes, the world needs two of those. That's what the world needs. People look at us and go, what's the difference between you guys? Well, obviously, I'm the good-looking twin, obviously. But like, what's the difference between you guys? And we look really similar. But actually, we're really different. For one, I'm a pastor of a church. He's not a Christian. Big difference. Big difference in terms of who we are and how we live. We look exactly the same. In so many ways, we're we're absolutely the same. But there's a whole bunch of ways that we are completely different. And I feel like when we look at godliness, we look at godliness and goodness and go, what's the difference? What's the difference between goodness and godliness? How, How do they differentiate between the two of them, because they kind of seem a little bit the same. Isn't godliness just doing good stuff? See, goodness is about being morally good or virtuous. It's about being a good person. And anyone can have a sense of moral virtue or moral goodness. Anyone. You don't need God for that. You don't need to be a Christian to be morally good. I know many people who aren't people of faith who are incredibly good people, incredibly morally virtuous, and and, and amazing, amazing people. See, that, anyone can be morally good, but godliness comes out of a reverence for the character and the laws and the nature of God and our connectedness to Him and His transformation on the inside of us. Goodness is about being outwardly good. 
Godliness is about an inward transformation that takes place. See, Christianity isn't just behavior modification, it's internal transformation. And, and I think too often we spend too much time in, in church trying to behavior modi- behaviorally modificate people. That's a word. Now it is. If it's not, it is. We spend too much time trying to fix people's behavior when the actual issue is not the behavior, it's what's inside. And if we let God transform them, it's different. See, godliness takes the attention away from our goodness and our knowledge and our self-control and our perseverance, and it gives God the honor and the glory that he deserves. It it moves us from our right self-living to our God-dependent living. And it's so tied to our relationship with him. It's so tied to our, our connectedness to God. And if you're going to persevere in the seasons where you have to persevere, and you've got to persevere in that discipline, you've got to persevere through those seasons, you'll going to need a connected to, to, the, to the God who sustains you and transforms you in the midst of it. Otherwise, you're going to go through that season and end up with nothing. You're going to have to have a connectedness to the God who sustains you. That's what it's about. That's what godliness is. Godliness is that internal transformation that comes from a relationship. And you'll go through difficult seasons. If you don't have Him, then you won't come out sustained and transformed. It's the connectedness to God and allowing him to form you on the inside that makes perseverance worthwhile. I want to ask you, friends, in your own life, where could you add some godliness? Where do you need to foster that connection, that relationship, to see God transform you from the inside out? And then to godliness. So, so we've got to, to, to faith, we add goodness, and then goodness, knowledge, and knowledge, self-control, and then self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, we add godliness, and then to godliness, we add mutual affection. Mutual affection. I found it weird that there was an add-on to godliness. I was like, that's got to be the pinnacle, right? That's got to be the top of the top of the mountain, like godliness. That's, it's like pa- playing paper, scissors, rock, and someone pulls out bomb. Like, what's that? It's bomb. Blows up everything. You win. It's like godly. Surely godliness is, is like that, where it just trumps everything. But he says to godliness, add mutual affection. And I find it so interesting. In other words... Live your godliness, live your relationship with God, live your faith, live that godly transformation in the context of community. Godliness without community doesn't exist. It has to be worked out and lived and formed and operated in the context of community with people. And it always fascinates me when you look through the scriptures, how everything in scripture always points back to the importance of biblical community, about the importance of our function being together. And in the our working of our faith happens together in relationship with one another. Our faith with Jesus finds its full expression with one another. And I love when people say, I can, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I don't have to be a follow, like if I, I can follow Jesus on my own, I don't need a community. That's one of those statements for me that's like true true, not true. True, not true. You can be saved. You can go to heaven. Like you can have faith in Jesus all on your own. That's, that's for sure. But you'll never grow to the fullness of what God has for you. You'll never experience full healing. You'll never experience the full transformation, your purpose, and the full expression of your faith without a biblical community because godless, godliness finds its home within community. That's a powerful truth and, and so easily brushed over. And I want to encourage you, right there at the table and out the back and wherever else, that we're doing small group signups today. And you can join a group. And they're all different and they're all creative and they've all got different angles and different things. And I want to encourage you, if you're not 
experiencing your faith in the context of mutual affection, doing it with some other people and experiencing the highs and lows and the joys and the sorrows of life with other people, then go sign yourself up. If you sign up to a group, it's not for life. It's not till death do us part. Trust me. If you don't like it after two weeks, leave. <laughs> go find another one. It's all good. Easy in, easy out. We're not going to get offended. Like find the people that you fit with and do some life with them. It'll be one of the greatest transformative, transformative processes you'll ever go through in your faith. Just find some people to do this life with. And the last thing is this. Maybe, Ben, you guys can join me. So he says, to, to, to your faith add goodness, to goodness add knowledge, to knowledge add some self-control because you don't want to be a know-it-all. You've got to live this life of faith and persevere in that self-control, like keep doing what you've got to do and add godliness, so God, like let God transform you and sustain you in the process of perseverance. And then to godliness add mutual affection. And then he says, to top it all off, here's what you need to add. You need to add love. You need to add love. On top of all of that, add love. When I, I proposed to my wife, um, we've been married... 16 years this year, which is pretty exciting. I know we got married when I was 12. It's amazing. Um, and, and like when I proposed to her, it was like I was so nervous. Eh? I was so nervous. And, and we went out. I proposed to her at a, at a West Auckland beach and it was sunset and had the ring in my pocket. And I was so nervous. I was shaking. And I pulled the ring out of my pocket and I dropped it. And, and she was facing the sunset. So I was like, oh no. And it's in the, in the black iron sand now. And so I got to fish this ring out. And I'm like, it's dirty. And so I find like we had some sparkling grape juice because we're Christians. So I, I put it in the sparkling grape juice and I swirled it around and I, and I fished it. That joke landed on some people. Some of you didn't quite get there. I fished it out, and I, I, I sort of dusted it off, and it was all sticky, so I'm like, like, I was so nervous. But my motivation to propose to her was, was my love for her. Like, I wasn't under an obligation. Like, we didn't go Old Testament in our marriage. It wasn't like a prearranged gig. Like, I know for some cultures, some people, maybe that was your, your story. God bless you. I'm thinking of doing that for my children, my boys. I'm like, boys, I'm just going to sort this out for you. I'm going to find you a great, godly family. You're going to marry into it. I'm taking applications, actually, by the way. So if you've got daughters uh, around the ages of 11 and 8, just come see me after the service. Uh, that'd be awesome. I'll take applications, and we'll talk dowry and all those things. And uh, it's going to be a wonderful thing. We'll join our families, and we'll be, we'll be the new power families of uh, Auckland City. It's going to be absolutely uh, amazing. They're good boys, by the way. They're handsome. Uh, they're well-grown, uh, athletic. Uh, so I, I could go on, but I won't. But my motivation for marriage, for proposing to my wife, was love. I loved her. It wasn't like I was under some forced obligation, like I, I had to do it, or I wasn't begrudging to it. I, I, I really wanted to because I was motivated out of that deep place of love. And Peter's saying here, may our mutual affection, our, our, our community with one another, our bearing one another's burdens, our time with each other, may that be motivated by love. Add to that love. Add to that love because without genuine love being part of that community, that community becomes a breeding ground for bitterness, for resentment, for disunity. When the mutual affection is not motivated by love, it becomes a very toxic place. And people start using each other for, for one another's gain. People start, people start looking at doing this life, this Christian faith and with people as a burden, like it's a chore that I have to do this. It's a chore that I have to serve. It's a chore that I got to do this. We start looking at people for what can I gain from them rather than what can I give to them? Because the Bible says that love is not self-seeking. So I'm not in this for me. I'm in this for you. And, and we, when we don't 
have the motivation of love, serving God and loving people becomes an obligation rather than our joy. And why do I serve? I was someone asked me, Steve, why are you a pastor? You can do anything. Why do you do this? So often I have to remind myself that I have to add love to this. Because otherwise this could become a bit of a chore for me. Getting up every Sunday morning to preach like it's fun in the moment, but it's a tough gig to wake up sometimes and by 9 a.m. be like, yo, let's, let's worship Jesus. Be tough gig. These guys are here way earlier than I am, sound checking, figuring stuff out. If you haven't got love for people to do this, this becomes a chore really fast. I'm so resentful. These people just show up late and this kind of stuff happens and blah, 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 blah. If we get to that place, we've missed the last piece of the puzzle. We missed the last piece. We've got to add love back in. We've got to add love back in. Some people are like, oh, but love, love should just sprout. Love. My experience is you've got to decide to love and choose to love and act on love. You've got to make it work, man. Love is not the fairy tale from Hollywood where if, oh, it's just, if it is, it's love. Nope. Love is a daily decision. So I'm, I'm here, I'm preaching today. Not because I'm obligated to do so, but because I genuinely love people. I love, I love you. I love what God is doing in this church. And I want to see you grow and I want to see you flourish. And I want to put something in your heart and your life and your hands that's going to help you grow in your faith. Why? Because I, I do love you. I do love people. And we serve and we love and we give and we're part of a small group. Not because, oh, just I have to do it because Pastor Daryl said I have to lead a small group. And I guess it's what we have to do as part of the church. No, no, no. I do it because there's some people that I can love and I can journey with, and they can, they, they'll love me. And love must be our motivation. Love is the, the highest order. Love is the greatest command. Love is the culmination of all of it. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. 36, when asked about the greatest command, the greatest Lord, Jesus says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The culmination of Peter's list is love. It's love. So without love, all of the rest of it falls apart. So we add to our faith, we add goodness. And then to goodness, we don't just want to be good. We want to know why we're good. We want to understand our faith. We want to grow in this journey. And then to knowledge, we had self-control. We don't just want to be a know-it-all who's like, I know all the Bible. I can quote all the books. But we don't do any of it. We don't live it. Uh, then we want to add to that not, that self-control. We want to add perseverance because it's in the tough times that you really know whether this rub is hitting the road. And in the perseverance, you're going to need a God who sustains you and transforms you in the process of it. And then to that, you've got to add mutual affection because godliness without community is empty. And then, then to, God, to mutual affection, we have have to add love because our motivation for all we do must be love must be love in fact you could sum up this whole this whole sermon and this whole message with this one statement that I've created and this is a statement that you could you could use this is a statement you could take to I've been saying it every day just reading it going this is me this is why I exist this is what I do this is the life of faith and it might come up on the screens I don't know if you guys have it but it is in the notes we'll get it for the next service but it is in your notes on the app the statement is simply this. In my faith, I do good things and I know why. I live what I know and I persevere in the